0: Believe it or not, I can actually see you tonight. I thought, oh, they've got the the lights on. That's why I can see you. That's good. I can see you. Uh, It's good. So uh, would you stand with me? Let's do our confession of faith before we hear the word tonight. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hears the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you I talked to yesterday, I guess, and told some people I was going to be ministering tonight on the heart. And I was going to minister on the heart until about 4 o'clock yesterday. And uh, the Lord has something else in mind, so um, we started from scratch. How's that? <laughs> started all over again. Uh, but uh, the title of my message, if it's not up there already, it's not up there yet. The title of my message is: Are you living on the edge or on the solid rock? Are you living on the edge? You know, people talking about living on the edge. We talk about the, the you know, people living on the edge. Of, you, people, Some people living on the edge of success and failure. Some people are living on the edge of being able to make it and not being able to make it. People are living on the edge of things in their, that's going on in their life. They're, they're on that edge of whether or not they're going to be joyous today or whether or not they're going to be depressed today. They're, they're, they're living on the edge of whether or not they're going to be a make it through today or not going to be a make it through today. But that's not what I really want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about people today uh, who are living on the edge. And I'm not talking about just people. I'm talking about Christians who are living on the edge instead of living where God wants them to be. And that's on the solid rock, that solid foundation that God wants us to live in. Because Satan attacks from every side. He uses the, the five physical senses that we have to be able to attack us and to be able to come against us and let us see things that disturb us, to hear things that disturb us. There's a lot of people disturbed about the things that they're hearing about this coronavirus. As a matter of fact, I I, I just heard that 14% of people surveyed will not order corona beer (laughs) because they feel like They could get the virus. Folks, that's stupid. Now, all of them were Democrats, but that's still... I I had to say it. I had to say it. But the thing about it is, is the things that we hear, the things that we see, the things that we touch and things... And I never thought touching would be such a big deal. what happened to the old now you don't handshake you just smile but make sure you don't breathe out when you smile and make sure you're over six feet away I went to Costco yesterday pick up a few things I walk in the door and there's a girl standing there holding the door only two waters allowed and two toilet papers I said, we running low on water. Yeah, toilet paper. Yeah. I didn't, and it finally hit me. People's worried about having to be able to get out and get toilet paper. I don't know what the deal is about the water, because all they gotta do is go to the spigot and get the spigot if they really needed some water. But everybody's gotta have bottled water nowadays, because that's the only thing that's safe to drink. We got massive filters. We got filters that cost twenty dollars to put in our refrigerators, so that the water that we have is filtered. But yet we're scared to drink out of it. Um, but anyway, don't get me started on that. Anyway, but the thing about it is, is people are on edge today. They're on edge. They go. They're, they're scared to go here. They're scared to go there. They're call, call off the rodeo. Well, the, the mayor in Austin called off the. It's got a bunch of letters, S-W-T-D-X, whatever, but it's some southwestern group that brings in people from all over the world and they come and they see all these, I don't even really know what it is, but he called it off. So it scared everybody in Austin. So now he's having to go out and ask them and beg them to go out and eat in the restaurants because nobody wants to get out of the house. Because he scared them when he said, he said, it's okay for you to go out, we just didn't want all those other people to come in. You know, it's... Fear, fear. People are on the edge of going crazy. There are people that are actually going through anxiety attacks because they're so scared. It's the type of thing that pastor put out a, a, a paper, and if you haven't read it, it's great, talking about needing prayer and how God promises in his word to watch over us and to keep us and to do all those things to, to kind of put away some of this fear. But all of these things are, are, are things that are part of all of the things in our Christian life that come at us from side to side and cause us distress and things like that. But we have to remember that we are a child of God and our feet are firmly planted on the solid rock. The Word of God, the Word of God stands above everything else. It doesn't matter what President Trump says. doesn't matter what Congress says. doesn't matter what all the medical people say. God is in control because He is the great physician, not a practicing physician. Every doctor you go to is still practicing. They're getting better, hopefully. But they're still practicing. But the great physician says, I have it all in my hands. What I want, what my plan is, you don't know. My plans are above, my ways are above your ways. My plans are things that you don't know and you don't understand. But tonight, I want to share a few minutes on this Living on the edge. But what I'm trying to say here is that when we look around the world today, we see all these, um, how we see sin creeping, maybe faster than creeping, into our churches. And we see Christians are becoming um, to look and act more like the world than the church. I really sometimes wonder if Christians truly know that they're trying to live on the edge of Christianity instead of in its fullness. Because there are so many that are trying to hold on to their acceptability, their their part that wants to be seen, heard, and accepted of the world and still try to hold on to Jesus. So many people are living so far from the source that they're, whole, they're kind of hanging by a thread on the edge. It's as though any day they could fall into a lost state. Because they're trying to hold on so much to the world. And because we talked about separation from the world, that Satan says, hey, I'll just bring the world into your church and have it accepted in the church. And therefore, if it's accepted in the church, then everybody's going to be all right with it. And so now we have the church being the churches that are holding steady are being attacked. And the other ones that are big and don't want to be attacked, they're just giving in. But, you know, I know this is a new generation. I used to hear this when I was growing up, I, when I was growing up, and that was a long time ago. But even back then, we were talking about generational changes, you know, generational changes. And we were talking about, well, you know, we just don't do it the way that mom and dad did it. And we don't do it the way grandma did it. We, you know, we're changing. We don't do things. That's fine. We, you know, we don't. Do everything the same way as grandma and grandpa and all that. I don't do things the way my mother and my father did. They taught me to do certain things, but the one thing they instilled to in me was to do what was right. At least what I thought was right or I knew to be right. That's what I tried to do. Did I did I do it perfectly? No, no one does. But the thing about it is is we need to understand that there is right and there is wrong, and we must be able to distinguish the difference between the two. If we don't, we're in trouble. When people come to me and tell me, I read this book the other day and I got the most interesting thing out of it. And they start talking about something that's, if you haven't been there, you won't know what I'm talking about. But they start talking through their head about certain things and they say some Christian teachers teaching this and some Christian teacher teaching that. Folks, I don't have any things against books if you want to read a book. But you need to make sure that the book's lining up with the book. Because there's only one book that we need to be reading and getting instructions out of it. It's the Word of God. Okay, It's not what man says the book says. It's what the Bible says and it's what God says in His Word. God is not going to change and rewrite the battle for this generation. This generation may not look at it the way that we looked at it and our parents looked at it and our grandparents looked at it, but I'll guarantee you that the same thing that they understood then and we understand now is the same truth if we're reading out of the same Bible. And it's important for us to realize that God is not going to change His Word to satisfy us. We must live our lives according to His Word to satisfy Him. That's what we need to do. And we need to stop trying to live... On the edge. And trying to live as far. If anybody, you may not have seen one in, in real life. I don't even think I've ever seen one in real life. But I've seen a lot of pictures of them. Have any of you ever seen a, 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 a flock of, uh, do I call them a flock? A flock of sheep walking. How do they walk? Do they all just walk out like this and everybody walk? They don't. How do they walk? They walk like this, right? And the shepherd or the lead sheep is up here. And they couple behind him, and then they spread out, and they go back. Does anybody know when the wolf comes or the bear comes or whatever, which sheep do you think he's going to go after? The ones as far from the, as far from the protection as they could be. In other words, the ones back on the back, the stragglers, the one that's just, they're part of the herd, but they're not close to the herd, And they're not close to the protector, the shepherd that rides in the front. Jesus said he was our shepherd, right? He said we, the shepherd, he's our good shepherd, right? So a good shepherd does what? Protects the sheep, right? How can you be protected by the shepherd if you're so far from him? If he took off and ran, something could kill you before he got there. And the same thing is true in our Christian walk with the Lord. If we don't stay close to the Lord then we're going to get attacked more often than the ones that are standing right up there with the Lord. Why? Because the ones that get attacked up where the Lord is, if they're up there, the Lord is there, to, and they're strengthened because of that close communion that they have with the Lord, and they're able to overcome it. Other people in the back lose out and don't overcome it. How many times do we see people come to church, they come to church, and all of a sudden the trial or tribulation comes, and we don't see them for weeks? Why? Because they were so far back. That they couldn't have that intimacy with the Lord to be able to do what they needed to do to be able to overcome it. So, if you look in Peter, and you don't have to put the scripture up yet. First, In Peter, the first chapter, in the beginning part of the chapter, which I don't have all that up there because I wasn't going to read. it's way too many verses to read. But he's given some instruction. When he starts off, he's talking about he's, he's praising the church and the Christians and all the stuff that they're doing. And he comes up and he gets one little word that really looked nice to me when he talked about. It, he says, "And I really enjoy your genuine or genuineness of your faith, a very genuine faith." And that got my attention. A genuine faith. So everybody knows what faith is, right? So faith is what. Everybody know what faith is? All right. How many of you know me well enough to know that if I told you something, I would not lie to you? Okay. Most of you. So, you have faith in me in what I say, right? All right, Mike, you can just keep it to yourself, right? Yeah. No, he knows what I'm fixing to do. He's been around me too much. We teach too much together. So everybody believes in me, right? You believe that what I say. So if I tell you something unequivocally, that I tell you that it's absolute loose and you know I won't lie to you, how many of you will believe me? Well, I thank you for the three hands. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to give you a little thing here. A little little uh, instruction, uh, kind of a drill. Okay? So I have a ministry outside of this church, and some of you know about it, and I'm not like anybody else, I need I need money, so I'm gonna see if I can get you people to help me with some money tonight, okay? So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell you something, and if you believe me, if you believe me, then you're gonna have to, you know, do something, all right? So, what I want to do is, I want to see how much faith you have in me. All right? Now, I have a pen in my pocket right here. You know, writing pen. Now, how many of you, if I told you I had one there, how many of you think I have one in my pocket? Okay. Now, how many of you believe it enough? To tell me, to offer me $20, if I don't have it in my pocket, you pay me $20. If I do have it in my pocket, you get to keep it. Now, how many of you will trust me with your $20? Okay. All right. Well, most of you did. So, as I always carry a pen in my pocket, I have a pen in my pocket. All right, now, how many of you would believe that I have a pen in this pocket? How many of you believe I got a pen in this pocket? Ah, a few more hands. That's a lot of faith, isn't it? No, that's not faith, that's knowledge because you saw me put the pen in my pocket, right so God says, I want you to have genuine faith. You've got to have faith that you can't see, and you can't see me stick it in your pocket. Okay? So, so yeah. now, what if I was to tell you I have another pen in my pocket? How many of you now will believe me that I have a pen in my pocket? See, nobody wants to believe me because everybody knows I carry a pen in my pocket. But nobody believes I got two pins in my pocket. Now I told you I've got two pins in my pocket. So how many of you would put $20 up? And if I don't have a pen, you pay me $20. But if I have a pen, you get to keep it. Now, how many of you do that? Remember, now I'm trying to raise money for my business. Okay? Okay. All right. I, I appreciate those hands. I really do. Okay. Well, see, I had another pen in my pocket. So now I have two pins in my pocket. So I haven't got any money yet. So I got to keep working on this. Okay. Now, what if I still had another pen in my pocket? I've had two. How many of you believe three? Fewer and fewer hands. Fewer and fewer hands. Well, another pen in my pocket. Okay. All right. Do you realize that after three pins, 50% of you still do not believe what I say? 50% of you do not believe what I said. And I have proved myself to you to be faithful three times in a row. I have met your need three times. And you still don't trust me and have faith in me. I'm disappointed. All right. I forgot about the corona. All right. right. It's a hard crowd. Um, Okay. What if I have another? I I, I got one more pen in my pocket. What's that? How many of you believe me? I'm saying I got one. I'm saying I got another one in my pocket. I still ain't got all of you, but I got most of you, right? All right. Now, I hope I got a few in my pocket. If I don't, I'm going to have a lot of them in me. All right. Now, even with four demonstrations, I do have four pins. I'm not a magician. These are four pins. Even though I just gave you four promises kept, still not everyone believed. How many times does God have to meet your need before you can believe Him for the next one? Okay? That's faith. That's genuine faith. See, we think we have faith, but we have faith in our heads the faith that lets me know my legs will walk, you know that my hand will move why? because one day a child crawled, scooted and he crawled on his belly then got up on his knees, started crawling around on his all sixes, fours whatever you want to call it then one day he stood up and one day he tried to walk He'd hold on. He'd want to get to that table. But at some point in time, he had to turn loose and have faith in himself that he could do it. That's how we learn how to walk. Our walk of faith is the same way. When he was talking here in Peter, I wasn't going to do a teaching on faith. I had nothing to do with it. But he said a genuine faith. And the genuine faith is what sustains us. In our lives. In our walk of faith. It is a walk. Let us walk in love. Yes. Let us walk in faith. Let us believe. And that's where we have to believe in God. Even the things that you could not see. Because people don't have a problem when I say. How many of you believe? I got a pen in my pocket. You don't. You don't have to believe. You know. I'm sorry I've been embarrassing me. My wife is totally and completely embarrassed. I must have showed my tummy. Something only thing I figure out. But anyway, the, the genuine... I better put it back in his pocket. I won't be able to do my faith thing. Anyway. But the thing about it is, is genuine faith is what Peter saw in these people. Their, their genuine faith. And then he says, I know that you're going through trials right now. You're going through temptation. You're going through all these trials and temptations but you're going to have a great reward in heaven. Wouldn't it be okay if you're just able to, to live and to, to to be an overcomer for this brief amount of time that we're going to be on earth just to be able to receive your inheritance in heaven? And that's what it we have to look at it, folks. We have to be able to make it because it doesn't do any good to walk all the way almost to the end and then fail before you get to the goal, which is to get to heaven. So... First Peter kind of tells us how to overcome these things that I'm talking to you about and where we can actually get that faith that we need because it's a confidence and a trust that we have in the Lord because we have to trust the Lord in everything that we do. We have to trust. When I said I have this, it required you to not only have faith in me but to have a trust in me that I wouldn't say that I would not die to you. Now, I did this. Same thing, I've done this thing several times. I've done it in prison. My tree's Mike sees it, he knows it. I've done it several times. And it always amazes people that there's a difference between a true faith and believing in someone that you can't see and them telling you and having to believe what I said. The only reason I put the money on it is because that really, if I just tell you to raise your hand, it costs you nothing. But see, when Jesus says, trust me, it cost him everything but for you to believe in him cost you nothing because his is a free gift to you but anyway in peter verse 13 he says therefore gird up your loins the loins of your mind i don't know how you get your loins in your mind but that's what it says to gird up means to prepare or to strengthen so you need to strengthen your mind and strengthen your mind that you'll be able to take action. You can't take action on something that you cannot believe in. And you can't unless you have a strength in that particular thing. Devil doesn't like to attack your strengths. He loves to attack your weaknesses. And believe me, you've confessed them to him enough he knows every one of them. Anybody ever heard of somebody, you know, push somebody's button? You know. The kids know how to push mom and dad's button. Wives know how to push their husband's button. And the husband knows how to push the wife's button. Satan knows how to push your buttons and get you to react. I know I'm sleeping in the doghouse tonight. I understand that. But anyway, prepare your mind. And that preparation comes and... That's when we have to be strengthened. How are we strengthened? We're strengthened with the power of the Word as we put the Word into our mind. You take the Word of God. And I tell the prisoners this all the time. There's nothing but black red, black ink, red ink on a white page. And that's all it is, is words on a page until you get it in here. Once you get it in here, atheists get it up here. An atheist gets the knowledge gets that reads it and puts it up here for his arguments against you, right? But you have to put it here because this is where your strength comes from. That's that inner strength that I've talked to you about before that's here, right? So, and it says, move on. It says, and be sober. Okay, sober, not drunk. I guess today we'd have to say, not on drugs, not on high on something. Because you you can't have a very strong mind if your mind's completely turned off or gone crazy or gone nuts, right? When you're weakened by all of these things. And things in your mind gets distorted. And things in your thinking. But then it says, And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, do we understand grace? Everybody says, oh, that's an unmerited favor of God. Okay, what's it mean? See, grace is, is an unmerited favor. Yes, it is. But he says that grace is something that comes to you at the revelation of knowing who Jesus Christ is. You, if you didn't know who Jesus is, What does grace mean? Because grace is what He gives. If you don't understand Him, how can you understand His grace? Because His grace is what He gives to us, His unmerited favor. In other words, we don't merit what we get from Him because our stuff is as filthy rags to Him, right? But He goes on to say that. But these are things that you have to do to be able to be on that solid rock, is to understand what it is. And it says as obedient children wow as obedient children we're all children of god right is that correct and everyone said tonight you know that uh, you're holy so i figured if you're holy then you're an obedient child that means that we do what is right and what god's word says to do right It means we obey what the Word of God says and what it is there. And when you start saying being obedient, the Lord talks about obedience is better than something. Let's see, what is that? That's what it was. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So that means that the Lord wants us to be obedient. Do you realize that from the beginning, in the very beginning, with Adam and Eve, all he required was obedience. That's all he required. Obey him. Don't do this one thing, and we're okay. All he wanted them was to be obedient, and they became disobedient, right? So all that God wants us to be is obedient to his word. Whatever his word tells us to do, that's what we're to do. Now, there are things in the Bible that tells us, and everybody can find a lot. I say everybody can find them. A lot of people don't find them. But uh, most things is, we talk about the things that we're not supposed to do. Things that we're not, we're not supposed to get angry, we're not supposed to curse, not, all these different things we're not supposed to do. But there's a lot of things in the Bible that we're supposed to do that we don't do. But we don't, we don't, we, we say, well, I don't do this, I don't do this, I do, yeah, but I don't do anything either. Because God tells us to do things in His Word that we don't do either. So sometimes those things, when you're obedient, you have to be obedient to not do the things you're supposed to do. But like, for instance, my mom told me things that she didn't want me to do. But there were things I had to do. What, you know what happened when I didn't do the things that I was supposed to do and I didn't do the things that I wasn't supposed to do and I did them and I wasn't supposed to? Did anybody get any idea what happened to me? My mother would have been locked up nowadays. <laughs> My mother, she believed in, you know, bear the rod, spoil the child. Uh, but she didn't always use a rod. She used her flip-flops, she used a garden hose, she used a peach tree switch, she used a belt, she used anything she could get her hands on. But I knew when she got finished that I did something wrong. Children today, they don't... Know what they're doing wrong and right because nobody ever tells them. That's not us, of course, because you're the cream of the crop here. I'm talking about the world out there. you know. But it says, Be obedient, children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. Now, a lot of people think, well, this is just saying don't sin. It's not saying that. It's saying do not conform which means you have to change something. To conform something, you must change it to make it right. That means that you justify something that's wrong as being right. Or something that's right and make it wrong. Whatever. You conform and make it something. To conform something, you make it something that it's not. And it's they're not talking to the world. He's talking to the Christians. He's talking to these faithful, genuine, faithful Christians. Okay? That's who he's talking to. He's talking to several churches there. But he's talking about, he says, by conforming yourselves to the former lust, which means we can't let those lustful things, I'm not talking about necessarily sexual things, I'm talking about lustful things enter into our lives and where we begin to covet things that other people have and we allow these things to come into our lives and we begin to conform these things. And it says, as you did in your ignorance... Our as in your ignorance, which means when you were ignorant of what the Word of God says, because we don't understand the Word of God before Jesus Christ comes into our lives, right? So we, we, we had this ignorance. But now we don't have an excuse anymore. We know what the Word of God says, it's there. So be obedient and all those things, right? Uh, I got to go. Okay. So it seems today that in the church, many, t- many are trying to hold on to parts of the world, as I said before, and enjoy it like the things that they did when they were sinners. And many struggle with this, and it holds them back for that getting that closer walk to the Lord. Because they keep holding on. Because when we come out of the world, he says, come out of the world and be a separate people, right? So when you come out of the world, there's still this type of attachment sometimes we have to things that we really enjoyed as part of the world. Sometimes it's acceptance. Sometimes it's being light, whatever. But the thing about it is, does, is, is that more important than a close relationship with the Lord? And people have to make that choice in their lives to do that. But he goes on in so verse 15 it says, "But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct." Pretty straightforward, right? Be holy. Now, everybody here tonight said he's holy. I think everybody had their hand up. So we know that we have to conduct ourselves and to do those things that are right and holy. See, holiness is a word we don't like to talk about unless we talk about God being holy. Used to, we talked about so much holy thing. used to, you couldn't get people to raise their hand. I would go in church and say, hey, how do you feel holy today? I couldn't get anybody to raise their hand. I'd say, how many of you who sanctified today? I'd get everybody to raise their hands. Because everybody was sanctified. Yeah. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same word. Okay? In the Greek, it's the same word. So the thing about whether you're sanctified or whether you're holy, it's the same thing. So it is a separation. But in separation from the world, this is what happens. Many people, if this is the world, he says, separate yourself. From the world. And that's the way we've, we've been taught it, right? To separate yourself from the world. So they, they're part of the world and they do this. Now, they are separated from the world. Okay? That's not what the word means. The word says, be separated to God. So if this is the world and this is God then when you're separated, you don't go from here to here. You must go all the way to here. That turns your back on the world, and now you face the Lord. Your separation is, yes, from the world, but you just don't separate yourself from it. You turn it toward God. All of the things that you look for here, you now look for here. You can't look both ways. You can't look to the world for one satisfaction, look to God for the other satisfaction, and be a separated people. Now, whether or not you believe in one-time instant sanctification, whether you believe in progressive sanctification, I don't care. But But sanctification is a movement from one place to another, turning our back on this one here. And we don't need to be doing this. Because this is where our life is in Jesus Christ. We have too many people wanting to do this, holding on this way, living on the edge of, will I go this way or do I go this way? When God is saying, I want you holy unto me. There's nothing but Him in front. There's nothing but blessings, Him, strength, everything is here. There's nothing left for us back there. And that's what we need to learn today. And the churches are wanting us to do this. Hold on to this because you enjoy it, but it's okay because all you have to do is love God. I wonder what my wife would think if I tried to hold on to a girlfriend over here at the same time I'm holding on to her. Would you accept that, sweetheart? Now, I know some of you wives might accept that. No, you wouldn't. But yet... The church is teaching us, hold on to the world. All you have to do is love God. Well, sweetheart, I love you. I just This one over here is just a playmate. I love you. Why, why doesn't that float? It doesn't float because it's not right. And it's the wrong thing to do. And the love that I have, if I'm doing that, is not the right kind of love. Because I have a lust back here that I may be calling love. And I have a love over here that's not a complete love. Because I'm not giving everything. Because if I give everything to her, there's nothing to give over here. If you give everything to God, there's nothing in the world to give. If your source is to give from God, then the world gives you nothing. And that's what he's trying to tell us. Because holiness... Holiness is turning everything over to God. Psalms 100 says, it's not in your things, but everybody knows it, but in Psalm 100 it says, enter, how does it put it, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's a progression, right? Before you do anything, you thank God for what he's done. right? Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. I thank you, Lord, for blessing me. All that kind of stuff. And then, We move into the courts, and we begin to praise Him for who He is. We praise Him because He's God. We praise Him because of all this thing. And then, that was in the Old Testament, and that's where the people had to stop. They could not proceed any further. All they could do was offer the sacrifice in front, take their sacrifice and and sacrifice it. Then the priest would then take it to the altar. He would present it to God. God would consume in fire, whatever. All this stuff happened. And then it was received by God, and that's where it basically stopped. But then once a year, the high priest would make a sacrifice for himself, right, for his sins and all the things that he he made sure all of his sins were forgiven so that he had no spot, no blemish, because he had to go before the presence of the Lord behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. And so they tie a rope around his leg. He walks in. He put the rope in case he had sin in his life because when he walked into the presence of the Lord with the sin... The bells around his thing were jiggling, and they know he did, so they dragged him out from under the, because nobody else could go in there. If we knew that when we walked in that door with sin in our life, that God would strike us dead, what was our attendance to be in church? Huh? There'd be one thing. There'd be a lot of. There would be a lot of crying. A lot of. There'd be a lot of people on their knees, some before their face, and everything else laying out there, getting the things right between them and God, to make sure that every sin in their life had been forgiven, and that it was under the blood, and everything was right there, and everything was the way it was supposed to be. And then they'd walk in here. But you know what? When they walked in here, and they would be walking into the presence of the Lord, without spot, without blemish. I tell the guys in prison. They wear white uniforms in the prisons. And I told them, I said, how many of you guys enjoy getting that fresh, clean uniform you know, to wear? They enjoy that. I said, yeah. You grab that first cup of coffee, spill coffee all the way down the front of it. But all you got to do is go back over and ask them for another one, right? They said, oh, no. You don't get that one every two days. You get clean garbage every two days if you're lucky. I said, okay, so if you spill that on your garment, then you got to keep it on your garment, right? And he said, yeah, until two days, they give you another one. I said, there's a lot of people that, the same way, you get sin on your garment. The difference is, you say, God, forgive me, and you get a clean clean garment. Repentance, you get a clean garment. So you can either walk around and, and go all week, and when you show up at church on Sunday... You can come in here with the dirtiest, if you can see your spiritually so we see this big dirty, it's got spots all over it. Or you can ask God to forgive you of your sins, and God will give you a fresh garment, and when you come in, it's all fresh and clean. But see, we sometimes like to get things on our clothes because it makes us feel good. Not what we're supposed to be doing, right? He says, be holy in all of your conduct. I got three minutes to do 20, okay? So we're going a little go fast. So he says, Be holy, for I am holy. Okay? So he told when we talked about the song was Amy was singing tonight, holy, holy, Terry talking about it, holy, holy. I guess, oh boy, you you do that one. God gave you that one. Because we 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 can get excited about talking about how holy he is. But how excited can you get about how holy you are? Because that's worship. When you... See, he tore the veil so that we no longer had to go through somebody else. But we had the opportunity to stand in the presence of God. In that presence of holy of holies. Sinless, blameless before Him and to be able to commune with Him. Can you imagine when you, if Jesus Christ stood to where you could see Him today, there wouldn't be one of you sitting in your chair. I guarantee it. You would be on your face before the Lord. When was the last time we were on our face worshiping our God? It's time we took the altars out of our churches. But we shouldn't have taken the altar out of our worship. Find a place. Even if it's not here, find a place. Gladys spoke about that place. That place that you find. That you can get to that intimacy. And that place that you can commune with God. And you can worship Him before Him. And weep before Him. Because I guarantee you, the day we stand, the first day you stand and you walk into glory, I guarantee you, when you see the light, you're going down right then. Because you will recognize for the first time who He is. Who He is. How do we overcome all of this? Real quick, I'm going to close. James, 4th chapter, verses 7 and 8, it says this. Therefore, submit to God. What did I say? Submit. What is submission? Turning everything over, allowing him 100% control. Allowing him to control. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Submit this way. Resist this way, okay? If this is Satan, the world, we have to resist. With every, with every temptation, it says that God offers an escape. And I've had people come up to see but I just don't see the escape. I said it's very simple. When you're tempted, the escape is very easy. People say, you just don't know. I said, I know. But it's an easy escape. We just don't take it. The easy escape is what? No. All we have to say, there is no temptation that's good or it wouldn't be called a temptation. Satan does not tempt you to read your word, read the Bible. He does not tempt you to pray more. He does not tempt you to give more. Okay? He only tempts you things that you need to say No to. And that's the way he offers escape. It's a very simple thing, but people have a hard time finding it sometimes. He says, resist the devil and he will... What? Flee. That means run, get away from you. And here comes what Mike and I both, I guess, have taught a lot on. It's called the if and then. If you do this, then God will do that. Okay? If is not here, but it's pretty much there. It says, draw near to God. You could put an if in front of that. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. But you have to make the first move toward him. Right? You have to draw closer to him. Anybody realize that the closer you get to him, the further you get from the world? The closer you go this way, the further you get from here. Right? He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands because the coronavirus... No. Cleanse your hands. I can't stay away from it. You sinners. And purify your hearts. I was going to talk on the heart tonight, but this is the closest I get to it. Purify your heart. A pure heart. Not a double-minded. Double-minded, right? holding one to the other. You can't hold on to both because sooner or later you're going to worship one of them. You can't do both. You have to submit to the Lord and make it completely done. We'll skip all the way down. 17 in the original, back in, in Peter. Who without part, it says, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Not this kind of fear, but a reverent fear knowing what God is capable and who He is. If you don't know who God is, you will never have a reverent fear. And that's what we've lost today is a reverent fear of God. We're, in, we're not scared of God. People, Christians are not fearful of God. They have no reverence toward God anymore. They have no fear about what He does, so therefore they feel like they can do what they need to do. God says, you better fear me, okay? Fear me with a reverent fear and understand, because one day it says He will judge, right? He says He will fairly, without partiality judge you for what you've done. But you better make sure that what you... It's just like I said, work out your own salvation! In fear and trembling, knowing that you better be right in what you believe. It's important. Verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently and with a pure heart. A heart that is pure and it's nothing else but that pureness that comes from God. That pureness comes from the Lord and it passes through us. Everything that God gives is only, we are nothing but a vessel. Everything that God gives flows through us. What he gives freely, we give freely. What God gave me, I'm giving to you. It comes, God gives it. That's the way everything is from God. And he says that in this whole, this whole you can read the whole, the whole part of it, but in verse 25 it kind of subs it, sums it all up. It says, but the, word, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It will endure when this world is gone. His word will always endure. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Peter says, this is what was preached to you, and I'm telling you that this is the way that you overcome the world. Stop living on the edge and get your feet firmly planted on the solid rock. Would you stand with me? Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for this word. God, I pray that the word that went forth tonight will take residence, Lord, in our spirits tonight. God, I pray that we, as a group, can take this word and hold fast to it and become the leaders that will lead the young people, the next generation and the generation after that to seek your face. To not see what they can live with and get by with, but see how much they can draw close to the Lord and walk in the fullness and in the strength of Almighty God. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit ministers God to each and every life. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given me. I pray, God, that it has meant something, and someone tonight will have grown through it. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. The Lord be with you as you go. Thank you.